You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Lord, please Don't break my heart Cause it can get hard I'm praying like, Lord, please I run from the dark, no gas in this car to take me away Oh, fighting all these demons, let me go Soon as I escape, I feel alone Last year got me on the edge, I'm so, I'm so overread I just need to break it down and flip it Welcome, Music Biz. Welcome to Music Biz 101 and more. Siento uno y más. On Radio Bravo, Universidad de William Patrick Stone. <laughs> Professor David Kirkfield, along with Dr. Esteban. Marconi Emeritus. I got an emeritus plaque today. A big plaque, huh? Certificate. Came special delivery. Oh, congratulations. Yes, emeritus. Oh, you are you are very emeritus, and uh, we're great uh, grateful to have you here listening with us today on our podcast radio show on eighty eight seven WPSC on the FM dial, and also um, you're following us on Google Podcasts or YouTube. I don't know all sorts of podcasts, but oh, we should give thanks real quick because we have our guest who's about. Yes, let us give thanks. To the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, Kiss, Zach Brown, Tima Likes Music. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB, CPA.com when you're ready. And we want to give our thanks to Christine. Oi. They, a wealth manager at the 4FOU Forefront Group. Christine has helped professionals and those who are unprofessional all over the world, manage their investments, plan out for the retirement. When somebody like you is thinking of planning, building uh, a bridge to your financial future, you want to think about Forefront, and you want to go to Christine at Forefront.com. Leave the last oil off for savings. Yes. Managing Your Band 7th Edition is out. We've had two podcasts where we have talked about it. Very exciting, is it not? Yes, it was very interesting to sound so important. <laughs> Right. In the last podcast. We, we uh, made ourselves sound very important. You you all listening should go back and listen. And now we have Gloria Muz- Muzio. Is it Muzio or Muzio? Muzio. 
all completely option number three that wasn't even on the table. So Gloria Muzio, which I, I would have said Muzio, actually. I, and I, yeah, so, you know what? There's a half the family says Muzio, half says Muzio, believe it okay. or not. Right. There we go. So the bride's side said Muzio, the groom's side said Muzio. So there we go. So Dr. Okay. Stiglin, take it away. So we have my first cousin here with us. Uh, and that's not the reason why she's here. Uh, she is a distinguished and a favorite of many director, first to Broadway live director, and then of course, moving to television. And I thought it would be pretty interesting in our Music Biz 101 and more segment to talk about <clears throat> the, um, actually the scene in the 70s and New York City and how inviting or how difficult it was. So firstly, you went to Mount Holyoke? That's right. I went to uh, Mount Holyoke, Massachusetts for my BA, a liberal okay. arts college. And it was uh, the time in Mount Holyoke where they had menus for the girls and you had your private dining room. Yes, we did. We had all that stuff no, that the normal people don't have when they go to college. <laughs> It was a very um, competitive women's college. Right. So, um, I mean, hard, you know, it was tough, but it was, it was, I, I was a fish out of water, let me tell you. Yeah. I, I didn't have a clue what anybody was talking about most of the time right. um, in terms of the social world that right. I was in. It was a right. very um, upper class kind of place. Yeah. But um, yeah. I, then, anyway, all women. And yes, we had cubby holes to put our cloth napkins in. <laughs> so we, that we would put in the cubby hole and take out for dinner. Um, so we didn't waste the resources. Uh, it was, but I'm, I'm, it was in 19, I was there in the early seventies. So yeah. it was kind of transition time between what Mount Holyoke and Smith and those colleges used to be these kind of a very, uh, kind of exclusive, dare I say white, kind of uh, yeah. up, uh, ivory tower kind of place, yeah. turning into a kind of very radical feminist. Sure, sure. Anti-war, you know, so I was right yeah. there on the cusp, on the sort of the bridge between the two, I got there in 71, I think. Yeah, well, I remember when I got to Syracuse in 93, uh, in 63, and to see prep school people, kids. And oh, I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. I was such a fish out of water. I was wearing my varsity um, high school jacket my whole freshman year. And they're driving around in these little sports cars. And uh, it was just, it was totally, I, I, I was an alien. I had no idea what this exactly. I, I Exactly. I can't believe we've never talked about this. I felt like such an I was an oddity. It was, I had never felt growing up in a kind of rural, you know, North Haven, Italian community. And um, I, I read just my, and then it's probably boring, but the one thing that stuck in my mind is that I, there was someone on my hall in my dorm who said her father had given her a BMW. I swear to you, I didn't know what that was. Yeah, right. I didn't know whether it was a car. I honestly, I was never thinking, don't say what's the hat. You can't say what's the hat. Because everybody was like, oh, she got a BMW. I honest to God didn't know what that was. Yeah. yeah. And that said everything to me. But I did well there. 
you know, things did start to change. Actually, what just you majored? theater, majored in theater. I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly. I wanted a. I actually really, I, I surprised when I think about this that I had the foresight to know. I just really wanted a really good liberal arts education because mm -hmm. I I felt like I needed. I just needed to have a more rounded base. I didn't grow up that, you know, I mean, needed to yeah. just right, right. learn yeah. anyway. So classics and everything, but I was a, I think I had an English minor. So I didn't know whether I thought I might study English lit. And then I decided it was a good theater department and I decided to major in theater. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. I didn't know if I wanted to direct. I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. I right. just enjoyed studying that. So then you did your graduate work at Florida State uh, School of Theater, which um, was the I went there because there were there weren't a lot of um, I have an MFA in directing and there weren't at the time a lot of MFA directing programs. And um, but and also I went there because they paid me <laughs> to cook. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a teaching. What right. do they call that? Yeah. That's so I, I taught some of the freshman classes and and it worked out great for me. And I because uh, it wasn't the it was a night and day from where I had done. Yeah, my exactly. And I, I was happy about that. Huge uh, university, sure. huge school of theater, um, other side of the world from where I'd ever been. New England you know, it was in Florida. Mm -hmm. And um, and it was a, a very different experience. And I felt like I thrived there though, because of what had, I had learned in Mount Holyoke. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I know it sounds like old news now, but in all women's college at the time for me was so valuable because you, in the college, you did, women did everything. The editor of the newspaper, the editor of the, you know, the head of the student body, it's just women and mm -hmm. you, so you don't really realize that in other colleges and universities, men are taking a lot of those positions and jobs. You know what I mean? It's a subtle sort of different thing that you just don't. And some people might say, oh, well, that's not real, that it's not going to be. Real. But you need the preparation because by the time I got to a place that was heavy male dominated, which I didn't even realize, actually, I was studying something that really was going to mainly be male dominated until the end of my career, really. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't realize that exactly. And then I got to a program suddenly with just one other woman in me in this whole program in my, in my year. So had I not been readied, I think that would have been tough mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. be, but on the, and my, a, a quick anecdote about being a woman in a, sort of at the time that was in the mid seventies studying directing for theater. Um, there was a professor named um, Amnon Kabachnik who actually I was great, but very beginning of the program, he was the head of our program and I was sitting in a room it was like a introductory kind of, there were maybe 15 of us in our class, another woman in me and risk men and he spilled a cup of coffee. I'm not making this up. He spilled a cup of coffee and he looked up and he said, Gloria, can you get that for me? <laughs> and in, in five seconds, I had to compute. What is the thing to do here? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In five seconds, you have to think, 
do I do it? Do I say no? Do I, do I get mad? Do I fit? And I said, why are you asking me? And he didn't know what to say. And I looked around the room and I said, I will do it if you tell me why you asked me. And he, he didn't know what to say. He said, you were closest to me. And then the discussion started and the coffee's still spilling. And I have to say, it broke the ice in a way of one of two women in a room of men with a man asking me to pick up his coffee. You know, it was, anyway, mm -hmm. uh, it worked out for the best for me because I didn't just jump to, because I had that, just had the right background at that time. It was in the, the Mount Holyoke was the right place for me. Right. So how did you get interested in actually directing? Um, in college, I the kind of theater program it was, it was the liberal arts plus the actual major, you had to do a little bit of everything. You had to do, you had to take a course in all of the subjects. So, you know, I tried, I tried all the different areas and in my senior year is when I, you were allowed to take a directing class. And when I took that class, I realized that that put everything together, including literature, including my, my love of literature and training and interpretive arts. And so it was in my senior year was the first time I directed anything. And I took a directing class and I, that's where I just, the, the penny dropped. It just went, this is, this is what I want to do. So, because it. Did you think at all that you were moving uh, from, well, part of the triangle of Boston and New York and whatever, you're moving now all the way down to, um, Gainesville, Tallahassee, whichever. Tallahassee. Tallahassee. We're mm -hmm. so far removed from theater, actually. Absolutely, yes. Did it dawn on you that maybe that wasn't the right move? Or did you I, think you just needed to get, take a step back from it and take a look at it? I think I, at the time, I knew almost nothing about how to implement any of the skills I was learning or I didn't know anything about, I mean, I went, you know, you know, I lived in Connecticut. My mother was in New York. We went to the theater all the time. It wasn't that I went to New York a lot, but I had no um, preconceived plan or idea about something like that. You're saying like, I should stay near New York city or I should, I should go to NYU. Or I just it didn't even occur to me. I think I just knew I knew I just knew I was young. I had, I didn't know anything really about directing very much, except what I learned in a couple of classes in college. Yeah. And all I was actually focusing on is I need to go somewhere and learn how to do this for real. Mm -hmm. And, and I disconnected that from what I was going to do after that. Right. 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 For better or worse. It just never occurred to me that, uh, I thought of it as a kind of retreat in a way like yeah. go away learn this and then figure out what you're going to do right so what what do you consider your first break um it's funny that you ask it that it, it I, I will it feels to me anyway i don't know if this other people think this but it feels like you have several first breaks do you know what i mean like i did have um i moved to new york well i first taught for four years because I um, I took a year off and went to Boston thinking, oh, smaller city, maybe I can work there. It was, it, it, it was impossible. I was 25 years old and a woman 
Mm -hmm. And no, I, director's the, not the entry level position. So uh, I actually, I actually, uh, and people would say, you know, I'm an experience, of course, oh, can I, and I think, yes, you're right, I, you, I can't do that. You know what I mean? You just, I didn't have that, mm -hmm. was realistic about it. So I went and taught for four years. I went to, a, uh, if you remember that, I was at the University of Bridgeport for four years. Oh, yes, yes, now you're At 25 year old, I was, um, I think I was 26 at the time. I was chairman of the theater department. They were just, it was a ridiculously small department, but I actually saw that as a place just to get confidence and to get older. I swear to you that. And I stayed for one whole class, you know, freshman to senior. Right. And I moved to New York. And I think what started, I, I honestly, you, you scrammed around for so long. I'm trying to think there are several different kinds of first bricks. I, I mean, I was, temping doing nothing and then you I realized what you do what I did anyway you start working for free in order to meet people do you mm -hmm. know and I started directing and I, people were responding to, uh, actors were enjoying work with you know I just started to try to meet people and at the time there were several um small uh off-broadway theaters that were also kind of um training grounds and sort of workshopping that kind of stuff and then i i think i met a writer oh there was a writer i went to went to florida state with who he got a production this was in the like would have been in 1980 maybe he got a production of a play at a theater professional theater in upstate new york somewhere i don't even remember where it was lexington new york and they wanted his play and we had worked a lot together in call in graduate school and so he asked for me to be hired too and i got that job yeah. and that i have to say was not a big splash or anything but what that did was put me uh i just was able to work professionally with professional actors it was a oh. small theater one little play um it was the first time I actually was hired. And then what happened was the people who ran that theater had a really larger legitimate re regional theater in Albany called Capital Rep, I think. Mm -hmm. And they hired me. That was my first job after that sort of initial. Right. So Albany, and then I did, then what happens in regional theater, you start it's a very small circle at the time. And I was just working a lot then, sort of moving theater. My base was in New York City and I was moving theater to theater to theater in New York. I mean. Oh, yeah, the region. Yeah. And mostly, and then, I'm mostly sorry. dramas? Um, I, you know, at the time, I mostly did new plays and um, a lot of comedy, some drama. I mean, sort of a mix, but at that time, the way to get work was through the writers for some, for whatever reason <laughs> at that time, because they were, you find a young writer and I'd worked with writers before in these sort of small workshop situations. And at the time, uh, and so mainly new plays, unpublished plays, first time premier plays mm -hmm. with young writers. And then what happened is one of those plays from Albany, I think, found a New York City producer. So my first New York City off-Broadway play was at the Cherry Lane, which is a big deal for me at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, it ran, I don't know, maybe a weekend because everything was so bad. But but I that was my first where my name was out there. People were coming to see, you know, I, I had, it just was a matter of some sense of, 
belonging. Mm -hmm. Um, But the first real big break was other people's money was that show that I did. Um, That was at the Menanda Lane Theater that was in New York. You probably saw it. Did you see it? Sure. That was the it first was a movie. It became a movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was the first commercial, um, successful breakthrough uh, play in New York that I did, and that cha- that play really changed everything. That's for a while. Do you know what I mean? It's then it's right. then that whole thing of can I? <laughs> yeah. This was, and I, I think the feeling was that I came out of nowhere feeling in the business was like, but I had been, you know, you know what that, what I'm, you know, of course yeah. you don't come from nowhere. That play had been done at Harf. I did it at Hartford Stage Company first, and then it was brought into New York and redone in New York City. And that was a huge hit. And bef- the thing about that play was so important to me to do that play. And it was a, forgive me, it was not a great play, but it was um, really dynamic really hard hitting was was about wall about wall street it was right during the time of that movie wall street and mm-hmm. with so much interest right there and it was it was a hard hitting play and i could do theatrical sort of staging things with it mm-hmm. because even when i started working in regional theater i i kept all i was getting was plays about mothers and daughters <laughs> and, and sisters and grandma, it was, and like women, it was always some squishy, sentimental, I, I swear, it was the most bizarre thing. I kept thinking, why are they only sending me plays about women? And obviously, because of I'm a woman. So then, so I read this, Other People's Money, they were looking for a director of Harvard Stage Company. And I said, this is a play about money, which is not a, in New York City at the time, men directed the commercial plays, Broadway, anything commercial. Mm-hmm. Women were welcomed in directing sort of the subscription theater plays and yeah. the more, um, you know, they didn't have so much at risk, right? Because they were, you know what I'm saying? It, it yeah. was not, it was more artistic maybe, but the commercial hard hitting plays were, there were very few women directing those. Mm-hmm. So I had, I got it in my head that I had to, that was the play I had to do. Even though I didn't love it, I, I had to do it. And I remember driving from New York to Harvard Stage Company for this interview with a, I had bought Bonfire of the Vanities. I didn't know anything about Wall Street. I thought, I thought, and I, I just was crazy trying to, anyway, um, and the, it was a big success, ran for a very long time, opened so many doors to me. But my favorite thing is, remember that critic, there was a theater critic named for the New York Times, Mel Gussow. Do you have any memory okay. of this name? I do remember the name. When when that play opened, again, I sort of people thought I came out of nowhere. And he said that the product, the direction was so visceral that you would never know it was directed by a woman. Oh wow. That was in print. Gosh. And no one really it just a uh, uh, just um as a perspective of if that was written now or if that was. That yeah. was probably, it was 1989, maybe. There wasn't much furor about that at all. I had, I mean, I was the only one saying, what is, I mean, I had a few feet women friends who were saying it, but it kind of just went right under the radar. Mm-hmm. And that, but that's, 
my point being, that's exactly why I felt I had to do that play, even though I didn't think it was, wasn't my favorite play, wasn't the thing I wanted to do, but I knew that would just present me in a different fashion. Mm -hmm. um, when that, so you're talking 1989 and that the film was released around 1991. Was there an issue with, did anybody ever talk to you about directing the film? And no. A, a female issue thing? No, I hadn't, um, it was never even mentioned or brought up. Uh, Norm, Norman Jewison directed it. So it was immediately, um, I don't even, rem I don't even, I remember kind of finding out had it been sold to be direct, you know, so I didn't, I wasn't even part of that conversation. I had no experience at all in film. And I don't know, at the time it would not have, I don't think it even occurred to me that they would, because it was a big Hollywood film, do you know? So, um, and Norman Jewison, the only thing I did come to see the play many, many, many times, mm -hmm. and which I was happy about actually, because it made me feel like he saw there was, thought there was something there to see. But um, I don't even remember being like offended or I think it just was so out of my ballpark because it was a big studio making it that yeah. I realized it just wouldn't be something I was gonna even be considered for. Yeah. Now, were you in the union at the time? Yeah, I think you, yeah. I was in the union before, that's a stage directors, uh, stage directors and choreographers union. When I was, do, when I started doing regional theater, Mm -hmm. way back that after I think you can only direct two plays before you have to join on a, on a union theater and all those regional theaters were all different tiers of union employment so I think once I did regional theater I was in the union so, um, and then same thing in New York but I think it's different than in the like the TV union, the, um, I really had to join pretty quickly. Not when I was working for nothing, but when I started doing regional theater, those were all union gigs. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, the main thing about that is your hours are regulated and your contracts are negotiated. So that, that was all good for me. Yeah. And healthcare was all about the healthcare. All right. <laughs> so, so how did you get to TV in New York? So um, I've been directing, I think, you know, maybe 15 years or so in New York, both in New York and in Canada. I started doing, you, you saw several of my plays um, in New York. Anyway, and um, I think I had turned 40 and I was actually feeling um, that is this all there is thing, do you know? And I was, I was working, um, but I could I mean, I was working steadily, but what they say about, probably true in music too, but they say about a, in theater, a theater director, you can make a killing, but you can't make a living. So I had kind of made a killing on other people's money, which supported me doing many other directing plays that were not. And I just started feeling getting older, starting feeling um, that my, my, the success or failure of my work and my income was totally dependent on what a couple of critics said, literally. I mean, literally, that you, when you see in a preview, I remember this off my show that I, one of the few that I just loved called Below the Belt. Um, when you see all through previews, standing ovations every single night, bringing the house down, people just, and then 
a bad review in the New York Times. I mean, good review in the New York Magazine and the po everywhere, but the New York Times, a bad review. The literal next night, no standing ovation. Nothing. People are like, yeah, yeah. And like, What's yes. wrong with me, right? It's like, how? So I just started getting angry and frustrated that I would have so little control over because that's your income. You know, in theater anyway, you don't make your money during rehearsal. You make it at the box office. So I would work all this time and then it would close. And so I started thinking about doing something different. I started thinking about television and um, which I had never, ever even been on a TV set or film set, nothing. But there was um, a theater director who I knew for years as a colleague named Ed Sharon, who also directed film and TV and I was around 40 and he was running Law and Order in New York. He was the executive producer of Law and Order. And he had been a theater director his whole life. And now at his age, he was about 20 years older than me. Um, really became a mentor to me. Really just took me under his wing. I just went to see him as a colleague and said, I'm just frustrated. I don't, you know, I, I just need to work more. I'm it just, I just want to do something different. And he said to me, why don't you just hang out here? I had, I remember thinking I had about, I had two years, I think, of theater directing commitments. And he said, just between those jobs, just come hang out with us here, watch, come watch this. And I did, I just went and sat at his side for a while, you know, every time he had a new episode or I'd sit with another director, they do this now in training TV directors anyway, just you call trailing that you get assigned to a director and you just sort of go stay with them at their side through the whole process. Mm -hmm. So I did that with him and he was really, he's passed away now, but he's really was one of the very best of them. And because he had been a theater director, he knew what I knew and he knew what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And he was a really, um, he's, that changed everything. So, and he then, after I did this for a couple of years while still directing theater, he hired me to do uh, my very first TV production that I directed was a Law and Order, mm -hmm. and um, and he was there. It was, a, I mean, it couldn't have been a better way to break in. And he he really did it for me. I mean, he made that happen. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how that started. And then after that, I didn't get another TV job for a long time, like another year. So I was thinking to, because as they say, the first one is much easier to get than the second one, mm -hmm. because there was someone who took an interest in me, knew me as a theater director. Um, but, you know, they weren't hiring very many women at the time and uh, in television. And it took a long time. And then I think the second show I ever directed was, do you remember that, this was odd, that, remember that show Oz, the HBO yeah. show? Yeah. That was the second kind, the second show I uh, directed an episode for, and that was another uh, executive producer who had been in the theater as well, Tom Fontana, a big TV producer, but was also a theater writer, was a playwright. And I think after that, after the third and the fourth, um, I was still just working in New York, but still doing theater. And then at some point I was getting a lot of TV jobs. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of phased myself out of theater. I thought temporarily, but I never, I mean, I've not directed a play. I think mm -hmm. since the play, since that play with the pianos, two pianos, four hands, that yeah. might be the last thing I directed. Very good. Yeah. 
So what was the, um, was the norm with series, television series at that time to have a different director each episode? Yes. What they, um, what you do is, um, there's the, 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 um, the consistency, the, there's a producer, writers, all, they, they all stay all season and they're in, they're, they supervise and they guide the whole arc of the show, right? Mm -hmm. and, but the directors come in, you know, it would be eight days of prep, eight days of shooting. So you're just there for that because you're, you're just sort of directing a car in the train. Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's your own little movie. So that's why there's so many people there guiding what you're going to do. And you, they encourage you to make it your own, but they don't really. They also, it also needs, obviously, and, for, and it should fit in this whole picture of what the series is. So I would, and sometimes they'll have you back for two or three episodes, but they, and sort of cycle through directors. But um, I was, I just always freelanced from show to show to show. And sometimes, you know, producers and creators would have several shows. So you would go, like I worked for John Wells, who produced um, ER, mm -hmm. and he also did uh, Third Watch. So I was doing Third Watch when I was living in New York, I went Law and Order to Third Watch. And then from Third Watch, same producer, I started coming out here to do ER. And then that opened some more. So it just sort of, it's a, there's, it was surprising to me when I realized how they're all connected. Like many of, like a producer from one hit show is the same creator of another hit show. So you sort of move around certain circles. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started working out here. No and agent though? No, nobody. I, no, I did. I okay. did. What, what happened was I, um, I was just gonna bring that up. I, I had a theater agent in New York City who I'd been with forever. And, um, and then when I started doing TV, I realized that I, uh, he wasn't this, there was a big company in New York, but they didn't at the time have a good television department, I didn't think. So I actually, there was a, um, an agent at this theater at the, where my theater agents were, who went off to become a manager and moved and was out here in LA and really was working with people in television. So I kind of came with him and he took me on as a manager and then he brought me to CAA. And that was that was the um, my agent here when I was doing television was at CAA when I first started because they re represented a lot of the people, a lot of the directors and, and writers on ER and it somehow I went into there and they signed me, which was great. That was a big boost. Um, so you, were you getting labeled as a drama or cop drama or, um, or I was drama or I was at the beginning, I was, uh, uh, it's what they call procedural. Do you know what does that mean? I've never met anything to me, which are the cop, not really dramas, but like, like law and order. That's a procedural. That's just sort of, um, storytelling crime <laughs> and like and then I I I actually was just more I wasn't uh known for comedy at all although to my regret you know it was mainly nighttime drama nighttime episodic drama I used I mean from crime shows and then I did a lot of doctor shows I mean I always 
I used to say my DGAMD. Do you know, it's just <laughs> take your, I know how to take, put your eyeball back in your eye socket. You, I would learn these things on ER because you always had doctors with you 24 seven. You had, which was great for me, my hypochondria problem that <laughs> was always you from the whole time you're shooting, you have an, an emergency room doctor at your side. Mm-hmm. Think about the glory of that. I'd love that. But um, so I did a lot of doctor shows, a lot of cop shows. Um, and then I wanted to do comedy and was having such a hard time because it's, it's I, I was not trained for sitcom. I don't mean sitcom. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about that's a total. In fact, directors rarely cross between the two fields between, say, episodic series and sitcom. They're just it's a whole different skill. So, um, but I, 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 the comedies I started doing, um, do you remember that show, um, Hung, that was on HBO? Hung, it was a, it was half hour comedy on the one camera, not a sitcom. That was a big deal for me to get that, that show that took a lot of wrangling, um, because you get labeled, you know, it's just sort of, um, You know, I did a lot of action in the beginning too, which I liked doing. Third Watch was basically an action show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, but I, I was thinking about this since we were, since you sent me the doing this, that um, about being a woman on set and how it really, at the time, I think at, for my perspective, let's say, you know, in the early nineties in, in television, you just go in not wanting to think about that. Do you know, you sort of go, there's no problem here. I can, it's, I'm like anybody else. But when I look back, I, it's strange to think about that number. It was, it was years before the first thing actors on the set would say, it was always the first thing I would hear is, gosh, it's wow, woman director. Mm. That was the first thing I heard on a new set for years. And then I remember thinking one day that just kind of stopped. Do you know, I just didn't hear it anymore, which was a sign to me, of course, that, you know, out of, let's say, 20 shows that the episodes, I wasn't the only woman there. And that because it would be that way. That would be that way sometimes that I would they'd have a token woman and a slot and the rest would be men. So they would go, wow, look, a woman on the set, a woman director. But then I, and I always think, I, I just, you try to, in my theory, and you just try to ignore it. I didn't want to think about that I, that I was different somehow, just do the best I could do. But then after a while, it did stop, not because of me, but because the business was changing. Mm-hmm. Were there men with attitudes in the beginning? Oh, yeah. didn't want to, you know, made it a point that you would have to explain it differently or oh, whatever, you know, they knew or- exactly what you wanted. Horror torture. I mean, it was never as bad as um, as in the. It was never as bad as it was in the beginning because I was also fairly young. But um, there, especially the 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 relationship that is critical is with the director of photography because they're in the director on a TV show because they're there for the whole season, so it's their house, and you're walking in and you want to direct the episode. And so you have to work together. And ultimately the DP should uh, demure to what you want to do ultimately. And so in the beginning there would be, but, and they were, 
deep uh, direct photographers in television often do end up directing. So a lot of times I'd be told by someone on the crew, he really, the, about the director of photography, he really wants to direct. He thinks he should be directing instead of some stranger who walked in, they think, right? Mm -hmm. So every, every shot would be an argument, or not an argument, but I'd have to explain a hundred times over and they'd look at me dumb faced, like, what was that again? Or, or you want to tell me that like torture, torture. And again, I just would have to ignore it. And it, and then I got better at dealing with that. And then as I worked more, uh, there were more DPs. So I knew and enjoyed and liked, and then, you know, the best experience would come when I'd have a really great DP who I knew and loved and we work great together. But I'd say at the beginning, when I was younger, at the beginning of my career, not so much with anyone else on the crew, but it was always the direct photography. Because <laughs> there's, there is always a kind of push-pull. Mm -hmm. Especially, again, it's their, they, it's their show. It's their crew. It's their everything. And you're mm -hmm. the guest. Which is yeah. why it really is nice when you get to come back and do a second or a third or a fourth. Which, on several shows, I got to do that. Yeah. So you were bi-coastal now for a while? For a while I was, and not when I was doing theater, once I sort of, after Law and & Order and after a few years after that, I, I was still living in New York, but um, going back and forth for work, I would rent a place here or they would put me up in a hotel or something here. And then I'd go back to New York. And, um, but there's this thing that I didn't realize at the time that, there, um, you have to, I don't know what it's like in the music unions, but um, for Telford State, for director, the Directors Guild, you have to pick a home base. So there's now more like Midwest, but it always was New York or LA. So that means that if your base is in New York, New York shows are more likely to hire you because they don't have to pay for your housing, your flight, your, you know, it comes down to that. And also, mm -hmm. so you, and then if LA shows want to hire you and you live in New York and your union identification is New York city, then they have to, it's cost them so much more money to bring you in house. You do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was always, New York was always my base. And then I started doing more shows in LA and my agent CAA was like, well, you've got to change your, whether you live here or not, you've got to say you live here. Right. So I changed my affiliation to Los Angeles mm -hmm. and was still going back and forth. But when I changed my last situation, um, I bought my house here when I changed my affiliation to here mm -hmm. because I then was just working full time, um, mainly in LA. And at the time, maybe in the early 2000s, there weren't a lot of shows shooting in New York City. There are more now, but at the time, more shows were being shot here. Yeah. So I sort of picked and then wound up here. Right, right. What was the pay like? What was the pay like for these shows? How many shows did you need to work in a year so that you could? Um, the pay is excellent <laughs> compared to, the, and the big difference is compared to theater pay, you do make more of your money on at the box office. So the longer it runs, the more you make. Here, um, the fee is very high. I could, I would be doing, I mean, I probably would could do five or six episodes a year. Um, and they're each about three weeks mm. to do. And um, and make plenty of money that I have never to live on. And that, and then of course you get residuals. 
So your, your residuals, if you're on a show that's a really hot show or goes into syndication, you can have all these shows running at the time, uh, at the same time. So it was very, that's part of why uh, it's very seductive because a three week investment on, to direct an episode pays off for a long time. And the money compared to what uh, directing a play in New York, the preparation, the casting, everything, it takes six months or so. And I would make a fraction of what I would make here, just even the minimums, you know, in terms of union pay. I mean, I don't know if you want me to actually say figures, but it was just much um, more dependable on television to be able to make the rates were so much higher than a director in New York because of the the pay effort. Theater directors often backloaded, do you know, yeah. to the royalties. Now, so your, I'm sorry, so your team, um, it was you as the director, then you had a lawyer, you had an agent, was there an, and you mentioned a manager? Uh, was- I, I didn't have a lawyer, really. My The agencies did the sort of legal work, but, um, I had a theater agent and then only, and then when I started doing TV, after I started really doing more of it, I had a manager who I met at my theater agency. And I worked as a manager for a while when I was doing television. And um, at some point, um, he and I both just thought um, that I could get a real boost if I went with a big agency. And that's when I went to CAA. Um, and it worked. It really, that was a real boost for me, um, having them uh, as an agent. And the good thing about, you know, and I, I had spent a lot of money on, you know, your percentage of your, I mean, I was paying 10% to a manager and 10% to a agent. But the thing about CAA, when you get a big agency like that, um, they have projects, they have TV shows, you know, that they have all their clients in, and then you don't have to pay, the agency pays the commission. Mm-hmm. So suddenly I was shocked that I was actually, like ER, for instance, I never paid a commission to an agency for that because that was a CAA show, CAA producers, everything. So I didn't need to pay a commission. So that was a big boost when I signed with a big agency and that suddenly was, I was so excited, you know, it just was nice to get 10% back from what you expected to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Now as a director for a, a play, when the play opens, you don't go anymore. You don't do anything. No, the only thing you do is after it opens, um, if there's a replacement, the stage manager actually would, um, rehearse the replacement. And then I would go in like for other people's money ran a long time. There were lots of different actors in it. So whenever there was a new actor hired, I would hire that actor to replace them. And then I would probably see after the stage manager had rehearsed them, I'd probably see a rehearsal or two. I'd go to a performance, give notes, and then they were in and in the stage manager would stay with this show. And sometimes the stage manager would call you and say, I got a mess on my hands here. I don't know what's going on. I got a call one night from the other people's money stage manager saying the show is five minutes longer tonight. (laughs) Five minutes longer. What are you talking about? She said, I don't know what's going on. It's five minutes longer. And I went and there was like the pauses and the big overacting and the 
So, you know, I, it's an old theater story. They say the director has to go back and take out the improvements. So um, that's what I would do. But otherwise, yeah, you move on to your next show. So um, yeah, you're, and the stage manager, that's what they're doing. That's what they do. They are with you in rehearsal and through the whole thing. And then you hand it over to them so you can go on and do something else. Mm -hmm. But you're tied to it because you are getting a royalty from it. So you're tied to it in case it like suddenly one night goes off the deep end or if there's a new cast member or, you know, you're, you, you are still tied to it to keep it status quo, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is in your interest. So it keeps running. Yeah, sure. So um, I know we only have about 10 minutes. So you were in LA and you, did you ever move out of that episodic type of directing? I, I didn't, um, I, I never, you know, it's funny, people do ask me, why didn't you ever direct films or I just never, um, I didn't, I just, I didn't want to, I don't know. I just wasn't on my, on my uh, dance card to direct film. But my, the thing is I, I, directing television takes a long time to really learn and do well. And I feel like I was finally sort of in a rhythm with it, being able to do it and enjoying it without being too like stressed about it. Um, and I always in my head thought if I do do something different, I would go back in to the theater and do a play. And that would be my, my other, I would stay with TV and then, but I'm going to go back. And I never did. <laughs> I just, I never did. I got sort of, um, and I did get disillusioned with doing episodic TV. You know, it just, it's, it, it got to be a grind after a while, but I just never got it. I never quite got motivated enough to go back and do theater. When you bomb in your own head, you yeah. know you bombed that night. In, in which? In, in directing, directing that episode. And you were there for two weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and then just, it's going the wrong way. Yeah. And, and you, do you keep it to yourself or do you, what, you know, you want to- You mean while I'm shooting? You mean as I can see- uh, well, it depends. I mean, I've done that. I, in fact, the, I won't say which show it was, but the last show I did, I was still recovering from, I was ill, you know, and I was recovering and I went back to work, which was a big mistake. I couldn't, my, anyway, so I am, um, I, I really, every day I thought, Gloria, you are really, um, I mean, and I wasn't, a, I mean, when I was younger, I would have been beside myself with it. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, but I just, um, I kept it to myself uh, for a, a long time. And it, I didn't think it was so, it wasn't so obvious. And then um, I just was, I didn't, it was a new series, the second episode or something. I felt like it wasn't just me. Nobody sort of had a hold of what the style was. And I certainly didn't. I just couldn't try this, trying that. And everybody was kind of, but I, you always have a, a assistant direct, not, it's not the director's assistant, but a first AD, a first assistant director, who really is your other half, who do all this. They do, they're there for the season. And I remember I talking to her about it. That's what this last time I remember saying, I know this is just not working out, is it? She'd say, oh, this shows up. like, And it was like the whole thing hadn't really settled yet. Yeah. But I, you mostly keep it to yourself, I think, that, um, and just hope that maybe tomorrow it'll go better. Right. <laughs> and then you think, you know what? And this is often true. Oh, because I get to do a, I would get to do an editor's, a director's cut. 
quick, you have like four days when you finish directing an episodic, an episode that you can go in and work with the editor and then they don't have to use it, but that's what you present to the producers and the network. So I, you know, you would just at night, I would think about it. Well, if I cut this with that and cut this, so you can, you still think you might save it and you can to a degree in a, with a good cut, but, um, I don't know. It's only been a couple of times. I thought I really missed the mark. I'd have to say it was a very small percentage of shows where I felt that. And I pretty much kept it myself. Good. Good. Yeah. You don't have a lot of, um, the director. It's odd because everyone else but the director are there for the whole season mm -hmm. yeah. you know so you have to pick your allies very carefully because yeah. your first ally is to hit the show and not to you so right. Right. we only have about three minutes left let me get one more in and then marconi you can ask your last one too um nowadays with uh, the explosion of streaming opportunities is there that more work for directors is the pay different for streaming episodes from what you understand for from network um, is, is, are the times completely different now? What, what can you talk about today, 2022, basically? Um, I, I might not be the best person to talk about that because when I retired was right when things were shifting. I mean, I did, uh, my last few shows that I did were for, um, were streamed on Amazon. Mainly, I think they were Amazon Prime. That's where I did a couple of series that were there. And at the time, anyway, the pay was the same. I don't know if they've changed because there's so many, but right now there are, there's, in fact, I think, oh, I retired just a little too soon. Now there's so many streaming shows yeah. that um, really there's a lot of work right now. And they, um, but I don't know, to, honest to God's truth, I'm not the best person to answer that, except I, I, I did do an Amazon show that, that streamed and the pay was the same. So, but I don't know if that's, if that's gotten more sophisticated or more, you know, because it's more prevalent now. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want me to ask one then? Sorry, I didn't answer. No. Well, I was thinking, what do you consider now? What's a show that you think is directed very well now? Um, let me think. Uh, I think that show, um, I don't even know if it's still on, that show, The Affair, do you know that show? Yeah, it's off now, I watched you, it. Yeah. You watched it? Oh yeah, Montauk, oh. the whole thing. To me that was, that director of photography um, is one of my favorite directors of photography. That show to me was such a complete package. I thought that show was, I don't know why, but that one sticks out to me, that I just thought that, was so beautifully cast and so well acted and so it just was to me a, a something just up my alley i just thought that was beautifully directed and of course everyone talks about succession that's a great show right yeah that's a great show all right so yeah there's some great tv going on right now i mean sometimes i think that the television quality right now of directors and is better than film sometimes it's just it's really strong tv right now yeah so you would say then now it's a great time to sort of get into the business? Right now? Yeah, directing and so on. I think it is because I think the there's so many new platforms. I just feel like when, and I also feel like there's a real interest in diversity right now in terms of, I'm telling you when I, it's, it seems strange, but when I started directing, it was a white male field. It just what it yep. was. And 
I mean, I was, it was not the easiest thing to be, to be a woman directing television when I started. Now it's very different. I'm not saying it's this, I'm not saying it's what it should be, but at least I feel like there's a tension on it that it can't just be the same as it always was. So I think it's actually, I just feel like the field is grow like it's like what's the right word it's just growing linearly somehow like it's just growing out so that more and more it's more diverse more and more people are being able to at least be considered and be understood and sort of that the point of view is not just a white male point of view anymore right. feels to me and there's are just uh it's just different now it's just different and i think there's just a lot more opportunity i would hope not where it should be, but it's getting better. Well, it was great to have your voice and your opinion on this. Thank episode. you. Do you know what you say at the end of every show, Gloria? No. What do you say at the end of every show? Well, first of all, by the way, it's it's, it's Muzzio as That's a reporter. Right. Are you going to say that at the end of every show? Muzzio? At the end of every show, we go Muzzio. We just scream your last name. Um, or you know, has anybody? We maybe we could change your name to Mitchell. Just Gloria Mitchell. Then nobody. It's it's not. That's right. Yes, I've been told that to, that my I've been told just by people who don't have any um, weight or power or anything that I should change my name because it's hard to pronounce. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, at the end of every show, we don't say hello because it's the end of the show. Right. So at the end of every show, and you can say this with us. We yell, same. you in cause it hurts like Move on.